on a serious note yeah since you saw a lot of money early on mm. didn't it make sense to you that you know hey this is a path that makes sense for me to pursue rather than going for a, a conventional job approach see when when see the money part of it was there okay but when you're young in your like early 20s right um you don't really think at least me personally at that time the narrative around the environment that i grew up in didn't really you know look at money from that perspective okay mm. i never i i never thought about money as a means to do anything okay it was mostly what i like to do and what i wanted to do what i enjoyed doing those were some of the things that really attracted me Hey guys, welcome to the Rare Earth Podcast. My name is Manoj, an engineer by qualification, a banker by profession, and a podcaster by passion. My goal is to really bring people who have actually charted the unconventional path, explore their learnings, and share that with you. So I'm super excited to have you join me on this show. And now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rare Earth Podcast. My guest today is Arun Benty. He is the co-founder and head of business development at Fan DeFi, a platform to create and sell utility NFTs. He is also a co-founder and director of business development at Trellises and co-founder and head of business development at Paper Trail. Arun is one of that friend I reach out to when I really want to hear a very insightful very tangential point of view people generally echo the similar thoughts right but with arun you will actually get to see a completely new angle and he comes up with brilliant ideas and in this episode we really cover a lot of ground we talk about his childhood his early work years his passion for technology and his philosophy towards life and entrepreneurship some of the key highlights of this episode includes how he started his first company trellises which was 22 years ago and what services the company provides to its customers then why he believes entrepreneurship is a team sport we speak about nfts yes you must have heard this couple of times if you're part of this world and how it is the latest emerging trend in blockchain technology so this was a total fun conversation for me and by the end of this episode i am sure you will just love arun as much as i do so without taking much time please enjoy my wide ranging conversation with the one and only arun benty all right welcome to the show arun thanks manoj so this is something uh, i think i've been waiting to invite you to the rare earth show because you're somebody you're the guy who actually who i call you know when i have one of those uh, shower thoughts <laughs> where i have a business idea and you know i feel there is this one guy i can really bounce this idea with and you're really uh, you know brilliant with software technology you're exceptional with your way of thinking about different things so so i feel you know you 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 come in with ideas from a completely unique angle so i'm really really very delighted to have you on the show thanks a lot manoj whenever i get a phone call i know that you know okay i have to be prepared there's something interesting i have to say i have to contribute <laughs> something you know so yes but i really enjoy you know interacting with you it has been it has been great man it's been really great i'm, I'm looking forward to this yeah so so for for my listeners you know uh, today's conversation actually could be quite wide ranging because Arun specializes in a whole set of things you know be it parenting be it you know technology be it the future of you know crypto so there's a lot of areas that we could bounce around so 
specifically in the field of nft is something that i will be touching upon with arun and uh, this is a field that i'm interested in but i know very little of <laughs> so looking forward to learn from you arun sure sure absolutely you're right i mean i i've been contrarian that's kind of like what i i would sort of you know define myself as you know when everyone is running in one direction <laughs> i tend to run in the other, other direction okay so yeah it's been like sort of a motto for me <laughs> yeah so i i was doing some research before you know inviting you to this show and it's funny like you know when you talk to your friends you just talk to them right but when you have to have this kind of a formal setup i was doing some read up you know like what's this guy's story and then every like your linkedin bio says you're a co-founder of one company followed by the co-founder of the next company followed by the co-founder of the next company so <laughs> seems like very interesting so you started off could you just you know tell sure. tell us how you started your journey and you being an entrepreneur from the beginning right absolutely i i i can i you know if, if i have to sort of give you a a sort of a background in terms of where i when i started my first business partner was my mom oh wow okay yeah, right so, and what was your business the first business it was desktop publishing okay okay so uh, to back up a little bit i was you know i was doing my bachelor's in computer science mm-hmm. this was probably what year was it maybe 92 93 and st joseph was arts and science and when we were in second year we started a computer science club okay as part of our you know college you know and me and i think five or six of my friends we started this monthly magazine as part of the college that magazine is what started everything for me it's sort of my genesis okay so we were just a bunch of kids in college and we thought we will do something interesting second year of college how old were you then if you... i would have been i think uh, 18 years old okay. maybe 17 18 right, yeah right, that yeah. was my age mm. and uh, so we had this concept of starting a magazine and our idea was this magazine should survive even after we leave college mm. right so when we sat down and brainstormed and we were a bunch of brilliant guys okay <laughs> and, but really crazy fellows and we said okay we'll name it generations okay so which means like for generations to come you know this magazine will survive right the legacy legacy yeah. <laughs> of course it only survived for one year but that's another matter <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was very interesting so we would never attend classes we would sit down and figure out what to do with the magazine okay that was my whole of second year went in that the interesting bit was the magazine was completely self funded by us it was freely distributed wow 3000 copies every month 3000 copies 3000 wow. copies that was a large number free. okay yes it was completely ad supported wow okay so here's what we did we went to aptech and we told them we are from st joseph arts and science just to uh, back up what yeah. is aptech is the aptech is company? a computer science you know computer course like nit right aptech. during that time in during india right during that time right. yes, yeah yes. so it was a huge you know it was a huge thing right. and there were two competing companies there was there was aptech on one side and there was nit on one side right. so here's what we did we created a proposal okay. okay and we said look the best you know the cream of bangalore's you know computer science you know studies in this college and if you you're an up and coming you know computer science institute computer institute and if you want access to our students this is your best chance so we went to aptech and we said we already have a deal with nit okay so you guys decide what you want to do we went to nit and we said we have a deal with aptech you guys decide fast okay so it was my first uh, you know sort of the start of how the world works okay So <laughs> wow so that's that's a brilliant sales approach for somebody at 18 years and I'm curious you know what triggered that kind of an approach like you, you how did you get you know this is an angle that you can really pursue we had some 
pretty crooked minds in our group okay so that's how i would put it okay diabolical minds okay so our idea was basically how do we make some money okay when we are in college and have some fun okay right. that was the idea and so we started this concept so the guys at aptech bit the bullet and they said like okay we we will do it don't give the deal to aptech we'll do it okay they don't give the deal to nit nit yeah, yeah. and we will do it okay so they signed up with us there was no written agreement nothing it was purely word of mouth with the center head from mg road that's okay. it okay very very simple agreement we told them we'll give you our back page and the footer on every on every page right but here's the condition you cannot stop us from taking ads from other companies and including other computer institutes that are competing with you okay, okay. <laughs> they said like who are these guys you know it's fine you know, they tell a bunch of kids right they right. said like forget it are just give do it, it whatever yeah. yeah and we said please donate some books to our college library as well so they donated a few hundred books to our library and that's how we started okay. now our college management had no clue that this is what we are doing okay <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea that you guys are collecting funds and you're yeah. actually making this newsletter and yes. this publication going yeah. live okay so hmm. my first job was i was the uh, i was in charge of the ad revenue for the magazine so me and another classmate of mine every day during lunch break 1 to 2 o'clock we would walk out of college and i would sell ads for our newsletter okay okay and the first month was terrible we didn't get any ads okay we you know went to gymnasiums we went to like you know restaurants we would go to places like that and try and like sell ads i still remember the first contract we got was some 15000 rupees or something for one year uh, half page ad not okay. bad not it's bad it's pretty good okay yeah so as soon as we got the check and we didn't have a bank account so <laughs> i in my personal account okay huh. and i luckily i had a account back then was the treasurer like sort of treasury right. right so the guy wrote a check into my personal name okay and he gave me a 15000 rupee check this was a company called career plan okay they used to train students for aspiring IIT. students for cat okay yeah. okay that was my first sale <laughs> actually my first sale i'll never forget that so as soon as i got the check my classmate was like dude this is it let's not tell anyone okay it's 15000 okay i was like listen i'm not a crook okay <laughs> this is our venture you don't like you don't like skim from your venture right? right so it was like a great thing i i remember that feeling it was amazing so we went back and then you know it started this whole idea of like just going out and selling ads became this thing that the only thing that we would do right so, so you you got the taste of success very early on uh, in the sense you really hustled quite a bit but yeah you got a substantial you know subscription sale done early on and you got to see money yeah yeah so that was the thing right first is you see you get us see to be able to walk into an establishment with right. a piece of paper and to be able to talk confidently is something that i think everyone used to, has to try first right. off the right. earlier you try it okay the better you are in your journey as an entrepreneur right you should know how to take rejection because you will meet 10 people and nine will say don't even come near me right. get out okay that feeling you will not get if you don't do door to door sales i i 100% believe in that okay right. today we try and do it with emails right. come on you're sending an email try doing that in real life okay <laughs> how many people can say that yeah you you know you you can really take rejection well yeah. that taking that rejection by walking into somebody's establishment and trying to sell something is like i would say like so, sort of a mandatory sales Yeah. skill that you need okay. right so like the boot camp for that right absolute <laughs> boot camp man it is i think crazy. now now nowadays uh, 
people go into you know deep state of depression if there are you know no more than 3 or 4 likes to the post they put on facebook or instagram there are people who really <laughs> suffer that rejection <laughs> so absolutely right yeah it's really funny that you know people uh, haven't um, really check that tolerance level in the real world out there exactly and and look i think the world also has changed and now we take we take you know rejection you know in in the virtual sense we take it very much to heart okay? right, so right. you know and i think you know the world is not fair and when you actually step out there and you have these intense conversations with people and real conversations you know look into people's eyes and have this conversation that sort of creates a you know a very strong basis i feel right. so sort of coming back to this, like yeah. this question so i i knew that we'll keep diverging into all <laughs> these topics okay so like yeah. i said this whole magazine became my my like you know starting point yeah so And, i i want to know your mother connection huh, you know? yeah, so yeah. that's how kind of how it started <laughs> yeah. so with this magazine every month five of us would make anywhere between 15 to 20000 rupees okay? every month every month man i mean we are so early on days <laughs> yeah and here's how we would spend it so this was the most interesting bit okay so this mo- money was supposed to go into our computer science club for the club related activities okay but we five are the founders of the club okay so we could just like do whatever we <laughs> wanted the college had no idea that we were actually making money out of right. this okay they had no clue right so, so there, what, there was nobody supervising or no, no. there was not, no accounting system happening here no nothing nothing okay. whatsoever we were the ones who were managing the accounts right the no, col- and there was no accountability with anybody yeah. else that's what no. i was asking there okay. was no accountability okay. we'll come to that it was a very interesting <laughs> one okay so anyway what happened was so every week would meet up and we would split the money based on how much work we did in generating ads okay. so if i traveled like you know i spent 5 hours so it was as an hourly billing system okay anybody in the college can come and work and get ads oh it was open it was enterprise open, for anybody open <laughs> enterprise for anyone okay not bad okay yeah so if you come and you work and you generate ads okay doesn't matter if you generate one ad or 10 ads but if you you'll can be compensated show, yeah. you'll be compensated for right. it and we had a very simple thing that end of the week saturday we'll just go and blow up maybe 4 5000 bucks at a pub okay and just have a blast so we became very popular in college okay <laughs> There's a bunch of guys who have deep pockets, surprisingly, right? But a bunch of nerds, okay? <laughs> and somehow they have money, right? And they just call people to pubs, and then you have a good time. They're right? having a lifestyle, exactly, <laughs> a interesting lifestyle. And we would all get little money in our pockets, like you know. So I used to go home with like two, three thousand, just back in nineties, man. Right, that's a lot of that's money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I think just for context, during that time, I think somebody who earns. like they had to work a entire month to earn maybe 5 grands exactly right that's, exactly. that's a lot of money right so it was a lot of money okay yeah. and my mom you know always had this uh, you know thing to you know we had a fairly difficult upbringing okay so why do you say that i i i think we you know see if you if you go back to my childhood right the house that i was born in was like like maybe half this room size right okay and we literally had to pull the cot up to the ceiling with a rope hmm. okay otherwise there's no space for anyone to okay. there was okay. no electricity okay the toilets were outside right. okay and it was it was a very difficult environment and you know both mom and dad's background came from that sort of you know i would say dad's background was literally extreme poverty okay mm-hmm. from where he came right and for him to migrate to bangalore and sort of start a life and stuff like that it was very hard and the place that we were staying at that time you know was was this colony 
which gave us a really good house mm. okay but dad's paid didn't really cover much mom was working in school so you you know we had a decent upbringing i wouldn't say like you know like really bad or whatever but luxuries were definitely not <laughs> in the listing that is in the list of things right? right so to be able to see like 2 3000 rupees right. coming in i would say that would have been like you know literally my dad's salary at right. that time right right <laughs> absolutely yeah i, I can right. understand yeah and almost like how are you doing this right, right. So i said look mom she got very this. concerned about the son <laughs> exactly okay i said look we have this computer and we do this printing stuff okay and we do this desktop publishing that's how we do it her mind immediately started you know and she said okay what would it do what would it cost to buy a computer and do something it will help me in my education as well so we sat together and we figured it out it, at that time a computer would cost about 45 50000 rupees okay. it was an expensive investment right. so we got a 486 you know and i knew how to assemble computers so so you we, were nerdy from the beginning yeah yeah so <laughs> all of us were like in this group right So we all friends got together and we like you know bought the computer parts and stuff like that and yeah mom got a loan from the bank or whatever and then we somehow cobbled together that 40 45000 bucks and we got this desktop computer okay mom had ulterior motives obviously so she, <laughs> she was working in school right. okay in this school in bangalore and she could get orders for like things like you know the diary the school diary right. pamphlets and all sorts of the school had a budget for printing right. okay so he immediately told the principal that look my son has this small setup you know if you want you can give him this work yeah. so that's how i started nice so, so, so she was my first business partner <laughs> that's amazing story man like i i didn't yeah. know that you know uh, yeah, yeah you started off with your mom what yeah. a, and so you never had an inclination to to be an employee or a 9 to 5 guy Of course I had yeah I you mean I, I would I wouldn't you know I I mean if you think about it you know I don't think anyone is sort of at least back then today we have so much of literature about being entrepreneurs and it's like a really cool thing okay right right back then when you say entrepreneur it means like no one gave you a job <laughs> <laughs> okay unemployed right like like oh the the poor guy is really struggling you know he's yeah. going through he didn't get a job like exactly. something like that okay, okay. somebody in the house was say oh, so sad no one he never got job anywhere no government job no private job he has to do something on his own so it is very sad situation right <laughs> that's how it that's how it was now, now we can look back and label it as entrepreneur entrepreneurship but you saying it was like a no it was unemployment <laughs> exactly what it was so okay. you know no I, but then on on a serious note yeah. since you saw a lot of money early on mm. didn't it make sense to you that you know hey this is a path that makes sense for me to pursue rather than going for a, a conventional job approach see when when see the money part of it was there okay but when you're young in your like early 20s right um you don't really think at least me personally at that time the narrative around the environment that i grew up in didn't really you know look at money from that perspective okay mm. i never i i never thought about money as a means to do anything okay it was mostly what i like to do and what i wanted to do what i enjoyed doing those were some of the things that really attracted me okay i do see a lot of difference today it's like driven by wants you know how much i'm going to earn and you know right. things like that really dictate a lot but back then at least personally for me it did not and then of course i still had all the aspirations okay the way i would term it is i was so confused you might think that i had things all figured out yeah. i was the most clueless guy 
you can ever imagine okay why had, is that so when i was growing up i always thought that i'll become an astrophysicist and an astronomer i was fascinated by astronomy okay science and astronomy held a very close you know connection you know in my heart so i used to write articles i used to write read books and stuff like that everything related to astrophysics and astronomy and i thought that that's a career i needed and you know and, and uh, what what caused or what influenced you to have a inclination towards that subject like were you reading up uh, quite early about this or yeah, you were watching yeah. something yeah i so obviously i grew up watching star trek star trek was like my like you know <laughs> everything i you know all my hopes and aspirations were all around space and science fiction and so even my early books and stuff like that that i used to read was all centered on okay, science okay. fiction mm-hmm. and like you know everything to do with the stars massive you know that imagination that you know just really fascinate me i thought that is my career right right and then uh, incidentally i knew an uh, astrophysicist at that time he was one of the members in our church he was a director of indian institute of astrophysics okay and i remember this incident i went and spoke to that church pastor and i said well, i need to meet him okay i need to really understand how to become an astrophysicist mm. this so was i think it was a that, nice that's nice standard. like uh, like you know you were very clear with your approach at least you know yeah, like yeah. it yeah. makes sense to go and ask somebody who's in that line of work exactly like you know, otherwise we we go and ask any uncle you know maybe he could be a butcher like oh, how do i really oh, exactly. <laughs> so i remember so. walking you know to their house with this priest and this is bajaj chetak scooter parked outside right. their house went inside sat down and then this uncle was very pleased this young kid has come to ask and then he was very like you know he said okay you know what i have traveled to all the continents on the earth including antarctica so i met a person who had actually been to antarctica back then wow. okay, okay the i would say like late 80s right, right? Mm. fascinating guy um, and he knew everything there is about physics and mathematics and he gave me a full rundown he said son you need to be good in physics your math should be top of the line so he asked me so how you scores in math i was like pretty embarrassed i was like mm, not bad <laughs> physics and science hmm okay right and then i remember that auntie coming and get oh so you want to become an astrophysicist like my husband i said yes listen you can do all this you can travel to all the continents but you see that bajaj chetak scooter parked that's all you will get <laughs> oh my god so, that's a dream killer man i know okay and i was like wow okay so fine you can either have like a interesting life and travel and do all this but at the end of the day you will come home and ride a bajaj chetak scooter that is tragic man okay i know you know so it was like i'm like thinking deeply okay but i was very focused i wanted to do it and all that right but when you get into college and by the end of it like you know reality hits you and i knew that i was not cut out for that kind of heavy science heavy lifting in science man it is not for me okay mm. i'm not you know i'm not good at that at all and it really hit me when i was sitting and writing my entrance test for msc in physics okay, okay. some college i don't remember what i was sitting and writing the entrance exam and midway i just got up and walked out i was like this is not me <laughs> this is not what i want to do this is huh? not what i want to do and this was after i finished my you know degree in computer science scored really low got like a second class like 57% or something like that completely dejected okay because you've scored really bad you know your scores don't really reflect who you are and like you know then i said okay maybe i'll do my i maybe management is what i need to do tried that went for cat training flunked so badly in that thought maybe i'll do advertising you know maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do that absolute confusion okay mm-hmm. in terms of what i wanted to do there was no clarity at mm-hmm. all 
I took that one year break, okay, after my degree, that actually really helped me a lot to sort of uh, so, focus. So, how did you express this to your mother or your father that you intend to take one year break? Like, knowing conventional Indian families, you know, taking a break in yeah. itself is like a big <laughs> no, no. So, how did you, you know, how was that conversation like? That's interesting. Okay, now thinking back, I have no idea. I think my folks were as clueless as I was. Okay. And I think at that time, parenting, the style of parenting was not something so hands-on, okay? I mean, they were concerned, but I never for once felt pressure, like, you know, that the the day you finish your college degree, you either are applying for a college and you're starting off, or you're applying for a job, and there is nothing called a break, right? Mm-hmm. Today, we have that. Back then, for whatever reason... My folks and even I remember even some of my colleagues and my friends around me, we never had any of that pressure. Mm. Okay, none of our parents came and said, I think you really need to figure this stuff out. I don't want you to waste even one, two months. No. So I got, I mean, I got a break at that one year and I was still trying to figure out what to do. My, I remember my dad was little concerned but Mm. it was like you take your time but i want you to do your further studies Mm. i don't care what you do but do some further studies i said okay i'll think about it but i took you know so those days i used to sleep get up at like 11 30 every day listen to music go meet my friends okay hang out and that was it i just did that (laughs) evening my cat course used to start i used to go and study there and do some like stuff but that's all. Okay. For six months, I just did that. I just wasted my time. But that, w- I think, was the best time for me. Okay. So, so just to connect the dots, I was told that you were part of a music band. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Could you please tell ah. us more about that? Yeah, it all started during that time. Okay. okay. Was it during that break time? Yes, that... during that break time. Okay. Okay. So, and, you know, yeah, it was actually during that break time. Yes. After college. So, you know, me, uh, there was another neighbor of mine, okay, my friend, a good friend of mine. So we used to hang out and like, you know, music became like a huge thing. So he was like learning classical guitar and I was like, you know, learning to play the guitar as well. And like, you know, and we used to go hang out and he had a band. And one day, one of their vocalists uh, dropped out, dropped out. Okay, they had a female vocalist and she was not available for a concert. So I ended up uh, being there. And they said, hey, you you can sing a little bit, no? Come on, just like, you know, give With it a shot. Voice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just went and just sang. And then it actually was like, oh, okay, fine, you know. But look, I don't look... There's a difference when you have a female vocalist, okay? And then you have somebody like me, okay? <laughs> Forget about the voice, okay? There's something called stage presence and look in a rock band, okay? <laughs> and I'm on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm like 1 there or minus, okay? So... You know, definitely not in that category whatsoever. I was told that you had long hair. Then. I did, man. You I did? did. So well, you, you had the looks of the uh, the band member. Dude, that long hair thing was because f- I came from Bangalore military school. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. There is a story in there. There too. is a story there also. Right. <laughs> right. Because right. I used to go for a haircut literally every week. In fact, I was so bad that... The barber, my neighborhood barber has swore never to cut my hair. He said, like, if you walk out of my barber shop looking like this, I'll not get business, man. Don't come back here, okay? It was that bad. So when I left in 10th standard, when I left military school, right. I didn't cut my hair for like two years. I was like, that's it. You know, yeah. I'm going to yeah. be a rebel. 
okay so i had like long hair and like you know so yeah it started with that so i i generally you you know keep my hair long during oh, those days so yeah i had that phase of rock star you know went on stage indian institute of science they had a competition back then Did, what was your band's name it was called uh, angel dust <laughs> 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 Whose idea was that? <laughs> oh, they were a very popular band, by the way, back really? then. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of those lesser-known vocalists in their literature. Okay, they will not address me as their, you know, vocalist. I was one of the session musicians, just like happened to be there, and that's it. You know, the, the band still exists. The members are still there, man. Okay, so my friend, he's in moved to Australia. He was the bassist, so he's there. and then christopher avinash so he's the guitarist and like you know he's still there he has a studio here he's very active in the music scene that's interesting so we okay. keep meeting now and then okay now we are like like middle aged you know <laughs> men trying to be like rock stars <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really suit but yeah. whatever but yeah bangalore is a interesting place that way so fast forwarding from that from that phase to current times so so if So, so my audience still doesn't know what do, what exactly do you do so <laughs> so so what is that you do when when people ask you you know what is your current in current capacity you you are actually wearing multiple hats i i understand so where are you focused on and what are you doing yeah so you know my main like you know if you say like like main like a day job you know what i do is we have a software services firm called trellisis you know we started that back in 2000 mm. it was all after this magazine stuff and all of that right right we started the company you know the second company we started like lasted for maybe about a year and then you know we split that company up you know it was like that was like a completely now we can run a podcast only on that <laughs> okay it was like a strange strange uh, strange time but once that was done me and you know in fact that magazine that we were running mm. three of us from that actually were part of the company that, you know that we founded oh wow so yeah. that's a long association you guys have had yeah yeah okay, so rohit okay. my co-founder with me who's been been with me till now was my associate editor so we both used to work together on the magazine oh that's a wonderful uh, long term collab man yeah yeah I've, okay I, you know we've known each other since we were kids okay right. so we have a very uh, so that's one thing very interesting right so so we started after we you know left college rohit went and started working at a software company he's I would go out on a limb and say he's probably one of the smartest humans I have known. Okay, mm. he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. Okay, and even back then he was this guy who would like embarrass all of us in computer science class. Okay, because his projects used to be top notch, and the rest of us were like mere mortals. <laughs> okay, and this guy was like. extremely brainy very intelligent you know very high iq math logic and all of that stuff a very a very unique mind and i we always knew that if i associate with him that something will happen it will rub off <laughs> yeah it will rub off okay and then he also had the same idea i think okay about me because i had this way of like spinning stories and convincing and like i had this this other side to it and you know so we both always knew that somehow we will yeah, make this work make this work <laughs> right and that's kind of how we started so trellisis is the company that we started after that first two years of that old company that we had when which broke off so we decided okay we'll do something in the software side mm. right so that's how trellisis was born basically the same computer that i had bought when i was in college yeah and rohit's computer and few other people that we had like you know they all came we all came together we were five of us when we founded that company right and the ideology of that company is very simple okay we said let's put all our computers in one room mm. and i didn't have a job back then 
So I said, look, guys, you pay me. I just need 5,000 rupees every month. No, it's not 5,000 also. 3,000 or 4,000 rupees every month. Mm. Okay. Because I had a bike, I had to pay an EMI. <laughs> so I said, I, I just need money for my bike's EMI. That is some 2,000 rupees a month. And maybe another 3,000 rupees for my monthly expenses. And you guys are all working in other companies. Okay. Earning like a ton of money. Mm. Okay. Put 5,000 rupees for the next one year. Right. And let's see what we can do. And I'm happy to run this. Mm. So I became the first full-time director. In ah, the company. Okay. All the others were working somewhere else and they basically funded. And we had one employee. Okay. And that's how Trellises started. So the first few months, all we did was we built a website for this company, Trellises. We built a website. Oh, for their own company. Yeah, for yeah, their yeah, own yeah. company. And when somebody asks, uh, well, then we would go and try and sell website services. They ask like, do you guys know how to do it? We'll say, yes. Have you built a website? Yes, we have. <laughs> Which one? Our own website. Take a look at this. Okay. So that's how it started off. Oh, what a great start. Okay. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So first six months, there was no business. Okay. There was nothing. We were just a bunch of kids trying to like, you know, I was like, what? 21. I so you, uh, were you the person who was uh, driving business or business development? Were yeah, you yeah. the one who's yeah. uh, doing the talking bit? Yeah, yeah. So I used to go and meet clients and customers and like, you know, I was, it was not very structured. Okay. So back then there was no internet. There was nothing. Okay. Right. We'd had internet, but... You know, we, we didn't, you know, we had those old dial-ups and stuff like that. Right. Nobody really wanted a website. No one understood what it Correct. was and stuff like that. But that's when Anil, who's our other co-founder, he joined us. And then by then, all the rest left. Okay, they were like, this is not working out, guys, and stuff like that. So Anil came in and he like, you know, we bought over all the shares from the other. The others, okay. The okay. others. And then at the end, there were only three of us left. So it was me, Rohit, and, you know, Anil. So we three co-founded the company. Wonderful. What was interesting was like, I would take care of business development and stuff like that. Rohit was a technology, technical mind and Anil was more on the finance and operations mm. side of it. So, it was like, it was like, I was very lucky to have found individuals who shared the same thought process and with very complementary skills. Right, yeah. Right? I think, that, yeah, that's a <clears throat> very rare combination to get, you know, all three with unique skill sets which complement the business goals in a way. Right? Very important. Very important, right? Mm -hmm. And, Back then, I remember everyone used to tell like, you know, don't do business with others, man. Do it by yourself. I mean, this is a very Indian mindset where you yeah, say like... we still hear that. Yeah. You hear that, right? right? And it's the worst advice you can give anybody, okay? It's like, if you want to do business, if you want to be a, an entrepreneur, if you don't have good co-founders, you're as good as like gone, okay? You cannot, you cannot start, you cannot do everything by yourself. Right. It is a team sport. Entrepreneurship is a team sport. Right. And I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, that's that's kind of how you should uh, approach it. So, yeah, Trellisys is what we started in 2000. This is our 22nd year of operation. Wow. <laughs> so we've been around for a really, really long time. Our USP is really simple. You know, what we do is we hire young engineers and we train them to be good software engineers. Mm. Now, something like that is easier said than done. Okay. Because our educational system doesn't really teach engineers how to, you know, be good software engineers. I mean, no institute teaches you that. And the only way you can become a good software engineer is to be able to work with other good software engineers. Right. right? right. The experience is the only thing that will get you to where you want to be. Right. So we have, you know, kind of like a six months to one year boot camp, okay, mm. where we hire fresh minds mm. from institutes like NIT and we just go to colleges and we hire them. Every year we would hire like, you know, five students we would hire, all right? right. And then we would sort of train them. 
over the and over the next few years they become like these really good well-rounded engineers then we take this team and then we go after startups and technology companies outside. and deploy them there yeah we sort of deploy them now the way we deploy is kind of like you know it's not like body shopping okay body shopping is like you know you basically just you know hire engineers from some other company for your product we are slightly little different okay we we go to you know it's like founders of companies who would come to us mm. and they would say look we have this product idea and we want to bring it to fruition can your team help us make that happen okay so we would set up like core teams of like you know a ui ux person or you know somebody in the you know product lead you know like a core team almost like instead of you going out there and hiring your own technology team it's almost like a cto on hire you could say okay right? and they would that that's kind of how you would start and we would scale along with the company so typically when we work with companies minimum is 4 to 5 years engagements we'll have right, okay right we literally live and breathe this company and like you know sort of be part of the whole product life cycle so in 22 years we worked with tons of these organizations many don't survive today right okay because you you know 9 out of 10 companies don't see the light of day in right, next, you right. know 4 5 years they don't so we we you know we used to tie our fortunes with the ups and downs of these companies so our business model is you know sometimes we invest in these companies partly we invest or we take like some sort of you know equity in them mm-hmm. right and when you know and when these companies raise funding we sort of divest and so that's kind of the model that we have it's almost like an incubator you could say right so many times uh, vcs or investors would recommend us and they would say like look if you want some help in the specific area go to these guys and kind of how we so you 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 yeah i think you have built a credibility in the industry also with your you know 22 years in, in that space yeah yeah so there's a lot of uh, leverage that you get with the contacts in that space also in a way absolutely i right. think you know that having see once you reach uh, the kind of level that we are in and it's not easy it takes a lot of effort but then we get to a point where you've built enough goodwill you know among a small community right right and then you continuously get some bit of work so i would say for us the biggest challenge is in hiring and retaining talent so many of our engineers have been with us for like 15 years 10 years which is yeah. unheard of in the industry right so that speaks a lot about how how the the culture is actually and and yeah. how how people feel you know associated with with your company so that's yeah. a really good thing coming back to what you currently are actively involved in so what's the, what's yeah. your current focus <laughs> and what's the company's name yeah so the current one is the company is called fandify mm-hmm. it's not even a company i would say like you know it's it's more like a like a product idea it's like a concept that we are working on and you know it is in the it is in the nft web3 crypto you know sort of space and you know with intrelisis every few decades like in every decade we sort of go through this transformation okay where you can actually sense the technology moving in a couple in a particular direction we saw that in 2000 when we formed the company we knew that the web would be like something spectacular and we jumped into that and then in 2010 2009 2010 we knew that mobile is going to be massive we jumped into that okay and then now in the last 2 years we've been seeing this huge trend towards a more decentralized sort of an environment it is completely different from anything i've ever seen in my like you know two decade long career in this space so i remember you know actually uh, catching up with you two years ago and uh, this was a very brief conversation so and you know like i happened to see you at our daughter's school because you know our yeah. kids go to the same school 
and then i said hey so what's up with you man what are you working on and you told me then i'm i'm you know really in the crypto world and i'm really really reading up about you know everything crypto so i was like okay what's crypto and you know i just okay okay i just it was like a passing comment or th- no thought that was two years ago and here we are today and you know you're like really into a technology which is the next <laughs> big thing you you've been always um, keeping an eye on the ball where the trends are going where the technology is heading so that's that's kind of really interesting man yeah i think if you're in the tech space right predicting how the technology will like you know evolve is 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 like a skill that you have to really you know hone in on because by the time you realize it mm. you know see for instance today an engineer with the kind of skills that you need in web3 and crypto you know is one of the most sought after skill sets mm. you don't have people in this space and you know and companies are paying a premium to get access to these sort of you know people and that's primarily what mine and rohit's job is mm. you know look a little bit in the future and then you decide okay which is the area that you need to sort of invest in and then we take people and we put them into that and we say like you know what spend the next 6 months figuring this thing out mm. right and then you have the raw materials to sort of you know Uh, even attempt to do something in that space right and you right. can unleash these guys out there in the marketplace uh, absolutely absolutely so coming back to uh, yeah nft yeah. okay so this is like when i first saw some visuals of nft it it, it felt like you know you are selling something which is like a digital media which is like a glorified image or a <laughs> you know, i i can just right click an image and save it Yeah. and why is this becoming such a big deal and uh, w- so what is this nft okay so i i i can give you a you know i think i think it's one of the most difficult tasks that i have is like trying to explain what an nft is in from multiple levels right right okay so i've tried to come up with a simple framework okay of how to you know explain what an nft is so think about ownership right if you if you say that you own something let's say let's say it's a you know let's say it's a house or a piece of land right the way you can own a physical object or a physical entity is you know somebody has to give you the rights to that ownership okay one is possession so if you let's say i, I own a phone hmm. i'm in possession of this physical object so i obviously own it and that's it or if it's a digital if it's a land piece mm. of land a parcel of land then there's like a government authority which is a notary or it's like a registrar of lands who gives you this certificate and says you own it right, right? and that's that's pretty much how human civilization has always like you know been you know but we've been in the digital sphere for like 3 4 decades now but we've never had a concept of digital ownership okay. so If you think about it what does it mean to digitally own something right let's say you let's say you let's say you own a website okay do you really own the website well not really if you think about it it's a server that's probably on some other somebody else's infrastructure right and then you're paying some monthly rent to so maintain that, that yeah to maintain that so do you really own the website i don't know if that company which is hosting decides that we don't want to renew you you lost your ownership right that's it the true digital ownership probably the first thing that you could own is probably your domain name mm. right mm. so if you think about it any domain name that you have uh, what is the domain <coughs> just for uh, you know like a domain name listeners. would be like www.myname.com right mm. or arunbenti.com mm. if that's a domain name 
I can go to say GoDaddy or one of these websites mm. and then I buy the domain name. Okay, I have to pay a rental fee to the ICANN, which is like an organization that, you know, sort of controls how domain names are distributed, mm. right? So if I register my domain name, nobody else can capture that unless I give it away. Okay, it's like almost uh, like copyright. Not copyright also. Like say, for instance, I could have... There are some laws wherein you can't squat on somebody's domain. Like I can't have a Nike.com if I mm. don't own it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you notice that when you get into the digital space, right, there are a lot of these sort of sticky subjects where like, okay, who controls it? Like, you know, who owns the domain name? So for instance, you can like, I'll give you a simple example, Tesla, mm. right? You know how much he, he paid money to get Tesla.com because somebody else owned the... Oh, know. really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because... The guy, the guy just like registered it like a few years ago, <laughs> like, you know, and then you just, you know, he owns the name now. It doesn't matter who you are. You can't go and tell him like, you know, please sell me, give me your, uh, you can't file a copyright suit and say like, no, that domain name is mine. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You have to pay him. You have to... So if you look at true digital ownership, the domain name was like the first, first okay. asset, mm -hmm. you could say, mm -hmm. that you own. You can literally make a lot of money. There are many people who have made millions selling domain names domain names yeah i right? think uh, that's domain flipping and things like that exactly right okay yeah, yeah. so domain flipping is is where this whole digital asset concept really was born and that's what that was it okay mm. the reason why it was possible is because no one single entity country or company controls the internet or domain name spaces they mm. don't control mm. it right it's controlled by the ICANN. it's an organization it's a non uh, non not for profit organization and that's how it was structured so the internet and the web was born from this whole decentralized you know concept but in the last like if you look at like the last 10 15 years that whole concept has been flipped now mm. today the internet or the web is primarily controlled by those top 3 companies you know you have facebook you have apple you have google okay these mm. are the companies that control you know you you know your home page is google basically the browser right. that you use is chrome okay right. that's not how the web was born mm. okay it was very decentralized so we've had this concept of like the shift that's happening now where you have these behemoths that are controlling the technology space and now there's like this clamor to go more decentralized mm. okay so now there's this concept of okay who owns stuff like, you know, let's so, say you so post something. So why is this need for decentralization? Like, why why suddenly this wake-up call towards decentralization? So there are, I think there we are... We are happy with the Apples and the Googles and the, you know, uh, Facebooks. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great question. Okay, so I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, there is a clamor for it. I would say that there is a growing section of technologists, you know, who are moving more towards, you know, this concept of privacy and mm. censorship resistance. Okay. Mm. This was not a big deal, say five, six years ago. It was not. But today, if you look at it, everything that you do, digital is becoming a, like a very important aspect of our lives. Right. Okay. People keep talking about this metaverse and stuff like that. Right. I mean, basically what I mean to say is like, when you say digital, what does it mean? You know, it means the photographs that are in your phone are worth something to you. Okay, mm -hmm. they they hold some memory. Previously, it used to be these photos that you print and you keep it physically. Today, it's all digital. It is stored in your Google Cloud, for instance. That's a digital space. Right. If someone asks you, okay, how valuable is that? 
I mean, it's like, yeah, of course it is valuable. There is some, you know, I, if I lose it, I'm going to feel bad about it. Yeah, there's a, you know, associated emotional cost emotional to it. Emotional cost to it, right. right. So suddenly now that physical, that digital asset has some emotional value and that's how you derive value from it, right. If you look at everything that's digital, it's growing up in value. The physical aspects are going down in value, right. And the digital is becoming more. And then if you look at all the companies that control this digital ecosystem, they're all extremely centralized. Mm, so Facebook mm. controls all your friends and families like connections. They control it. Okay. That Instagram controls one part of it. Mm. WhatsApp, all of them control it. Now, slowly, people are asking questions like, hey, you know, this is becoming valuable. And tomorrow something happens. I'm like... Let's say for some reason, you know, I die and then I can't reset my Google password. Who's going to help me? Hmm. Can I like apply for a death certificate and say, please reset it? <laughs> Google is not going to care who I am. Right. Right. Hmm. So this concept of digital ownership, it, maybe today it looks frivolous, but it's becoming more and more pertinent. It's becoming more and more, you know, in terms of how we value a digital asset. So there's an entire ecosystem of technologists now who are saying the time is coming where people need to own, have like more agency in owning a digital asset. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is easier said than done. Okay. Right. It's such a complex ecosystem that the change is not going to happen overnight. But, you know, this is a whole bunch of things that have to change from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's about controlling the infrastructure. The internet infrastructure is decentralized to a certain extent. Okay, mm. like you know, you can't control like you know, you know, which server has what or whatever. I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's a certain, you know, you can't say that one specific company owns the internet. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, it is to a large extent uh, decentralized in nature. You know, it's decentralized yeah. right, in right. nature, right? But access to it is not okay. Today, governments control access. Uh, so I can like, you know, in Ukraine, you can put off the internet. Mm. But then you have Elon Musk who la launches these satellites and say, like, Starlings, here you go, yeah. you know, you can access it. So internet access is literally a fundamental right today. Mm. Okay. So we are going into that space. So NFTs is a technology concept which gives people some frameworks mm. to have digital Ownership. ownership that's okay. it okay it's you could say it's like a certificate okay that is authorized by you know a blockchain mm. right it's that, another topic it's another topic altogether okay <laughs> yeah so it's like multiple layers if you look at it it's such right. a complex topic right? right but to understand why you know what do you mean by it and then when people say right click and copy and stuff like that yes of course you know but mm. there is this idea that a digital asset has some value and as we keep going into this digital realm, that value will start becoming more and more, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll enhance more its value. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we need a concept of digital ownership mm -hmm. and NFTs gives you that option. Right. That's kind of how I would, I would put it. And the blockchain and NFTs is not controlled by anyone. Mm. No one can take it away from you. Right. Mm. You own it. It's not stored on some central server. The file is not there. It's basically a pointer to a file, you could say. Okay. Mm. So we can get into more technical discussions about what an NFT is. Okay. But it's a, 
yeah i you think know, it, it will be uh, you know outside <clears throat> of the scope of yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this conversation yeah but coming back to nfts that seems to be a massive opportunity right now mm. in, in in the in that space earlier we had not uh, heard of so much of a creator economy yes okay and now there is a whole focus wherein there are artists there are you know they could be uh, somebody who is draw you know painting something or there could be an artist producing some kind of music it really sends signals to the world in, in a completely new way where you know you you can discover art and artist and you can really support them and they get compensated extremely well okay so could you speak a little about that opportunity and what what's emerging there yeah absolutely so and, and your your company is involved in a space like that right where you're actually helping artists yeah absolutely so fantify is is you could say is like a is a launchpad or like a crowdfunding platform okay for anyone in the creative field to to sort of you know set up a base and and start like you know start you know selling your artwork or any sort of creative medium that you have because the minute you talk about digital ownership right a digital asset that you can own suddenly now there's a meaningful monetization for that right so all this while if you look at how you can monetize your creative output let's say you're a podcaster or you have a youtube channel or whatever you are depending on the a centralized platform like say youtube mm. to get you the audience mm. okay so they bring you the audience and that's the platform and then you put your you you create your content and you put it out there and then you get paid through ad revenue okay that's kind of how the model works right now right. and the ad revenue driven model has been really bad for human society i would that's my personal you know, why yeah there are many reasons for that okay and if you look at if you look at how algorithms sort of you know function this may not be consciously done but this is kind of the studies are it's showing it's by design i think it's yeah. by design okay so a company like facebook or say google if you take these are the two primary companies that are you know driving this behavior the more attention you can get from your audience the more money you make mm. it's as simple these are private companies which are you know which have to cater to their shareholders and stockholders that's it okay so that's their objective so if i have spent more time on facebook facebook's facebook makes more money right. it's a very simple concept mm. so how do you get attention well you use a lot of persuasive design okay and mm. this is like a topic that's like over two decades old how do you use design and ui ux principles to grab somebody's attention mm. whether it's a like button or whether it's the fact that when you when you're watching youtube okay this is like a such a interesting you know aspect If you watch a YouTube, you know they have those uh, shorts, right? Right, right. So you see the first video. Correct. Okay. You don't even need to swipe up; it mm. swipes up automatically and plays the second video. Why is that? It's it auto populates, right? Auto, next yeah, it it just keeps showing you right the next video, right? Now what YouTube is doing, or what YouTube's algorithm is doing, is like it's studying your behavior, and it knows that instead of you swiping and ex- exercising that you know that control, gesture. that gesture <laughs> to move up. I'll do it for you which means you will watch the next video because I want you to watch the next video right, right. and then if I do swipe the video before watching it it knows what I like and what I don't like mm. so it knows what what it needs to do to you know so it's like my... machine learning in play right it's just exactly. recognizing what's exactly. your behavior yeah okay. but what is the behavior what is the algorithm trying to do the algorithm is basically saying it's using your attention as raw material mm. okay it's using your attention as a means to drive more views so that it can serve ads 
it doesn't want you to the algorithm is not designed to help you learn better or it's not that there is an ad it needs eyeballs so it is optimized to get you that that's it wow right right hmm. and now when you're constructing it in that very simple framework you see what it does to society okay so let's say i'm somebody with a particular type of ideology hmm. right let's say i'm more left leaning right. right now when i do that i will constantly see content that is left leaning right. okay so i go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the well that right. side right. okay if i'm right i go deeper into the right so what studies are showing today is that platforms typically the algorithm is designed in such a way where it pushes people to the edges okay mm. so takes them to the extremes extremes okay so if you're more right wing you want to see more extreme right wing it will show you more and you can actually literally see this okay just create a new browser instance mm. clear out all your cookies and open youtube mm. you'll see a certain type of content there right right and then if you keep seeing certain types of content it will program itself to show you only that right then if you that's why to, the default home page of every users youtube will be extremely different from one to another absolutely. right based on what they have what's absolutely. their browsing history or what they've been searching for exactly right right and this goes for everything okay so if you look at its program to like you know show you certain types of stuff if you look at instagram it shows you only like positive messages hmm. uh, if you go to twitter it shows you very antagonizing content in hmm. terms of like you know it really you know and unknowingly or knowingly technology is sort of you know disrupting society so we're seeing it affect elections it's it's a uh, seeing it affect uh, you know personal relationships yeah. and i am very certain that in the next 15 20 years there'll be entire documentaries that equate social media and the technology and with things like say smoking and the dangers of smoking right, right. if you remember in the 60s we used to have ads where doctors would promote certain types of cigarettes yes okay. I, i read about that actually yeah <laughs> it was supposed to be like a healthy thing to do nothing to worry you could exactly. you, you could you know you can just exactly. safely consume it okay <laughs> yeah right. and today we know where it is okay and i'm pretty sure that the you know the next two or three generations from now they will look back and say you know what our grandparents used to like you know <laughs> this thing called social media oh my goodness you know i'm pretty sure that's how it is going to be viewed right. and that's one of the reasons it's driving this whole decentralized ecosystem mm. and it's mostly from engineers who have been in knee the, de- neck deep in this these techs in right. this tech in this Space. tech environment mm-hmm. okay and it is very demotivating okay mm-hmm. when you look at what it can do to society mm-hmm. right and companies today like facebook are dealing with very difficult questions mm-hmm. and the difficult questions are like things like censorship for instance okay mm-hmm. what do you censor right do you make some decisions based on like somebody's writing about like a particular topic let's say vaccination and they're like anti vax okay do you stop it do you let open free, freedom of speech do you let people say what they want how do you make a decision like yeah, that yeah that's a, right? that's a tough one yeah it's a very very mm. tough question mm, mm. but then it's not like you know companies have not dealt with this media companies like you know newspapers and other media organizations have dealt with it but there you have a structure for creating content mm. today you're dealing with like some guy who's just like putting up a you like a youtube channel and then you can talk and say whatever you want right so um yeah you know, you, so you were t- telling about the the decentralization space emerging and also how the centralization 
is driven by ads yes and you know like how you are against that idea right like the, because yeah. because the narrative is driven by the influencers of those companies who are funding them exactly right. I, i think if you look at the business model you know an ad based business model is not incentivized to to get the best what do you call output right okay so the outcomes are not you know aligned right right and that's one of the reasons why you know most of these like sort of ad driven business models are are not not finding favor among 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 the audience and that's one of the reasons why like these sort of web3 technologies and nfts which gives users ownership of everything right we're still in very very early stages manoj but it's a step in that direction right. i would say mm-hmm. okay we're still very far from that okay i want to shift gears because otherwise uh, we will still not touch <laughs> upon some of the other topics so how can an artist really turn this into you know to their own advantage okay now now that we have identified there is opportunity there there is so much happening how can an artist let's say somebody who doesn't understand all these technological jargons and he is purely into his or her art like he could be in a, you know a singer or a musician or somebody like that so so can you guide them or what are the first steps they should actually explore so you know if if you just remove the whole technology aspect of everything right it's still the same you need to still follow the same guidelines okay so the internet and the web sort of gives you access to a global audience hmm. right you have a message so let's say you're let's take the podcast itself as an example right, right? you know you have a certain content and then you have you know you want an audience right and the audience is out there hmm. the web you need to find that audience basically right? right and then if you use platforms like you know you still have to use platforms like say google facebook uh, instagram all of these platforms gives you access to reach out to these audiences right right the difference is you still need to follow the same methodology to reach your audience but when you acquire this audience okay like they give you your email or they subscribe to you and stuff like what the web3 ecosystem and what fandify lets you do is sort of get ownership of that audience and what do you mean by ownership essentially it's like let's say as a podcast you release an nft mm. right and you know for everyone who comes and listens to your nft you give them an nft uh, listens to this podcast you give them an nft let's mm. say it's a participation token okay right so i could let's say i own five of your nfts because mm. i listen to five of your podcasts mm. right so you earned five tokens have, of those i own some tokens mm. right now the power of something like that is that you're able to measure you know who has you know really participated in your you know in your economy mm. now you could say hey i can do the same thing by having a counter on my website that says like you know you arun you came and listened to five of my podcasts so i'm going to give you five points me as arun i can say fine manoj that's great you're giving me five points or five stars on your website because mm. you know i'm listening to it but you control it i don't own those five stars mm-hmm. right what nfts gives you is the ability to give ownership back to the people who are listening to your podcast by okay. giving them a certificate that can be traded it can be utilized for all sorts of things you could say it's kind of like a loyalty card okay okay for being loyal to your content okay right? you own the ownership of your content i own the ownership of participating in you okay okay so it's like you having some equity in the artist yes okay and so if if the artist were to really grow big let's say we we scale up 100x 1000x hmm. 
there is a proportional benefit to the fans so, also yeah, to the fans as well so with fantify what we have done specifically we have taken this whole concept of ownership to the next level which mm-hmm. is you can fund uh, this artist or this creative you know creator this you know whoever it could be a podcast it could be like a musician it could be an artist it could be anybody you know you can participate in in their growth right from early stages right, right? Okay. now this is kind of how like companies are also formed right so you get some sort of a funding right let's take like let's say when we started trellises internally my friends we put in 50000 and we funded it right, right? Yeah. that's how it was it was 5000 rupees a month that mm. was the funding concept and we all know today that funding is a very difficult thing you can't go to a bank they ask you for collateral mm. okay you can't go to an investor you need to be a million dollar business before someone invests in you what about all the rest of the entire like you know you know that that entire stretch okay right. so there's a massive funding gap all over the world mm. okay there is money but it needs to be put to work mm. right and technologies like nfts and what fantify is also trying to do is trying to put that money to work in more efficient ways understand okay mm. and crypto gives you that efficiency and nfts gives you like a basic framework to put some of this money to work mm. for creative enterprises okay mm. now you could say that hey you know what i'm going to invest in an artist what if the artist doesn't perform okay or like you know they don't live up to their expectations absolutely yeah so the answer to a lot of this is you know goes back to like sort of the nature of how you invest right so you're investing you know if you put your money in like say gold or in say property or something it grows at a certain value right. right or you put your money in your bank you get some interest and it grows at a certain value that's one way of investing mm. the other way of investing is like to go and gamble it in a horse race mm. right that's purely luck okay right. or you buy a lottery okay mm. that's another way of doing it obviously bad examples of doing, you know <laughs> investing that's not right. called investing that's called gambling <laughs> right. okay now there's another middle ground which is very interesting which is what the rich people do right they bet on companies okay at a very early stage so think about it this way right if you had put say you know a few lakhs in google okay when they were like you know like these students in the dormitory right. okay imagine imagine you could take a 10 lakh loan back then it must have been like 6 7000 right. they were actually taking checks for that amount <laughs> back then wow okay? yeah right <laughs> how much would that be worth today I, i i think i would be in a different part of the world and i may not be doing this podcast <laughs> exactly <laughs> right so exactly okay so that strata of investors right right it's called what accredited investor okay. basically what it means is you have so much money that you can afford to lose it all mm. that's the that's the another definition for an accredited investor right which is all fine okay right. now the question i'll ask you is like would you be willing to lose 100 rupees mm. or would you be willing to lose 1000 rupees okay right, or maybe 5 yeah. or maybe 10 okay <laughs> who decides that right. you decide it right? right so we have this whole concept of regulation now in terms of who controls that so with this decentralized ecosystem that we have the community is saying look i will do my research and i'll invest my money mm. okay in something and that i, I know in, that yeah. i believe in right and i'm perfectly fine if i lose it all mm. that's actually the philosophical way of how to go about in this ecosystem right it is fraught with a lot of dangers right. okay people lose a lot of money but there is also an upside to it mm-hmm. okay so 
they call it what asymmetric returns right. okay so asymmetric returns is only possible if you are willing to take asymmetric losses as well right <laughs> so so ex- could mm-hmm. you explain what do you mean by asymmetric so that is disproportionate is disproportionate right. okay so right. in the sense like say for instance you know if you invest 100 rupees and then you get like 10 rupees every month that's one kind of investment you're making like you know mm. that's like a huge amount of profit actually if you think about it 10% every month is great right. okay <laughs> but then let's say you're looking at like a 100x return mm. right mm. or a 1000x return right mm. that's how people become wealthy right. okay right. now is that possible for everyone to do no it's only for a certain section of society it's possible mm. to do the those mm. kind of investments but if you make it accessible okay mm. and areas like creative field arts and all of these can make it possible for mm. you to get these sort of you know asymmetric returns, yeah. asymmetric returns. Right. and that should make it possible for anybody to invest so there are a lot of companies that are doing some really exciting stuff there's a company called republic which basically lets you invest anywhere between 50 to 100 dollars you know up and coming startup mm-hmm. right mm. so you can actually sign up it's as simple as just signing up going out there and putting your credit card details and then saying like i'd like to buy a share in this company it's not a share it's like a promise for a future share when right. they become big right but they are actually democratizing the way people invest mm. so nfts crypto all of these things are sort of quasi investor sort of ecosystems right and they're actually disrupting the entire investment vc ecosystem yeah what what, what what i as i'm reading about this more often uh, what i'm noticing is this is this being such, such a new industry or new space we really cannot look at it from a lens of what we already know right because this is a completely there, there is no reference point as such right you have to probably do a little bit of or maybe more more of unlearning to really yes. you know look at this from a completely new fresh perspective yeah absolutely man i think i you know i had to like really learn economics and like you know banking why does it <laughs> you know things that subjects that i thought i would never, never have interested yeah. okay yeah. you actually go into a lot of this thing you go down that rabbit hole you know it's a very fascinating rabbit hole but it really you really start to question everything okay how society is built how societies function how what's the role of money in society right, you know yeah. why do we have you know inequality all of those aspects are uh, like you know so th- so when i look at this web3 ecosystem you know i think it's one of those it's it's the final piece of how technology can you know sort of you know create a, a very bright future mm. for us as humanity how it can create a bright future right okay. i kind of see that happening we had lost that okay i would say that when the internet first came up and it was invented and we you know we saw the web for the first time i remember all of us when we were still in college we thought this is going to change our lives right it did okay. it did yeah it did uh, i mean we are, we are all here because of that but somewhere along the way we lost the plot right okay mm-hmm. and i believe it's it's to do with some of the business models that were not conducive for us as humans okay mm. we, we sort of lost that plot there mm. in the last 10 years we have sort of veered off that path and now we have a value system on the internet so crypto and you know cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and nfts and these technologies 
are giving us a, a store of value on mm. top of the internet that's completely decentralized. Mm. So now we're going to see an even bigger, like, you know, shift, wave. Yeah. wave. Mm. And you could say, will there be a Facebook or a Google, you know, 10 years from now? Well, it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Right. Okay. Maybe they, 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 may, uh, they may coexist, I think. Maybe there could be new players emerging and, you know, old players still around. Or don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't right, know, Manoj. Yeah. Okay, I think, I think if you think about, you know, if you think about companies, right? And I like to give some of these examples, like, you know, take IBM, for instance, right? right? It's over 100 years old, okay? They've literally reinvented themselves a countless number of times, right. okay? Hmm. But if I ask you... Who's the CEO of IBM? You wouldn't know it. Right. Okay. So these companies have sort of have this or, you know, Siemens, you know, 1800s they were formed. Well-established names. Well-established yeah. names. Okay. Right. Can we confidently say that in 2100, okay, that the word Facebook will have any relevance? With what confidence can you say that it will be relevant? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. Right. Okay. So it's it's really hard to make, you know, these sort of predictions in terms of whether these companies will actually survive. Okay. Right. And will they will have the same staying power as say an IBM or a Hewlett Packard or you know Yeah. I think especially in the in the in the in the technology space there are so many disruptors and yeah, so I think we it's too hard to really bet on which will stay for the long run, right? So yeah. That's true, man. So I think we, we definitely can go for a round two someday. But I would like to touch upon some other areas where people can get to know a little bit more about you. Yes, I know that you are, you know, one of those people who reads a lot for sure. Okay. And you started early on. So I'm curious, you know, what are some of the books that has shaped your thinking? Are there any specific takeaways that you remember? And I, you know, this is a huge, wide ranging kind of question but something which you remember yeah absolutely so again you know i i, I whenever somebody asked me okay name you know <laughs> like five books that influenced you or you know all of these questions you know sometimes like stump me okay because <laughs> you know it, it's been so varied so i think i think what i would say is like you know there are two three genres i would say okay mm. or like you know or a series of books that have shaped my thinking okay over the last 25 30 years of my life i would say mm. right so if you look at the earliest uh, like days i was fascinated by science fiction okay science fiction everything from say isaac asimov to you know arthur c clarke and even series like star trek for instance okay for some reason i was very fascinated by everything that was futuristic mm. okay and it's a fascinating thing to think about right and to predict the future and to think what will be you know what will life be like 20 years from now 30 years from now that's always fascinated me so i would say i have always uh, been fascinated by those sort of books and then when i was in college i read i read this book by aldous huxley called called you know brave new world okay that for me was a life defining book at okay. that time when i was in college why is that so okay so do you know this world according to Brave New World and 1984? Okay, you know, do you, have you heard about that concept? No, no. Okay, so 1984 is another book by George Orwell, okay? And it is about a dystopian future, okay? Where George Orwell writes about this. He was writing from a communist capitalist sort of a mindset. 
and he wrote about this dystopian future where this big government controls everything they control what you say they control what you do and like you know it had this very you know very top down centralized controlling sort of a thing and the mm. people are like miserable and they're like you know oppressed and that was a picture mm. right and it seemed at that time when you read that book that you know we never want to go down that road and we don't want to be a society like that okay and it seemed like a very interesting you know or like a almost like a black and white caricature sort of future where you say like you do not want to do something like that. that's bad right we all understood that brave new world which was written you know back in the 1940s i think is so ahead of its time okay that it's happening today in brave new world it's also a dystopian society but it's a society where everything is perfect okay okay people are happy right there is this drug that is given by the government mandatory to everybody so everyone is happy man mm. okay so the, you you don't have a choice to be sad or depressed okay the drug has no side effects mm. okay so you're perfectly fine but you're mandatory to take that drug oh <laughs> okay so that you can be happy people don't have children because you know children are kind of like manufactured okay or like you know so they don't have any defects mm. they don't have any of those sort of oh, they're problems they're perfectly engineered they're child. perfectly engineered yeah, right. okay and the society is given this dose okay of this this bubble uh, that you're happy mm. okay and you don't have any disruptions and they're fine with it right and it and it brings about a very interesting philosophical question because today's society is like that right mm. you have a mobile phone you have an internet connection you're fed with this happy news okay maybe there's a war going on somewhere but like who cares it looks like a video game right, right? and then you're conditioned to be in this state right you're going getting this dopamine hit every dopamine hit yeah. all the time that is the brave new world future and when i read that at that time it didn't really sink into my head as to right. what aldous huxley was talking about and today there are lots of articles where they're talking are we heading towards a brave new world or are we heading towards oh. a 1984 we are definitely heading towards a brave new world okay that's the direction and the book is very chilling because it leaves you with this idea questioning your very existence it mm. says like maybe that's how humans are conditioned okay mm. maybe that's your future man who knows okay <laughs> so it's a very disturbing book okay and that it really impacted me and you know i've like stopped reading fiction okay right. i that was probably like you know back in college i used to read a lot of fiction but then i moved out of that of late the books that i've been reading has to do a lot to do with like you know sort of getting to know yourself mm. okay mm. so i think thinking fast and slow was was a book that completely changed me i would say right i mean my thinking and perception by you know daniel kahneman okay who won the nobel prize for mm. you know for you know psychology and stuff like that you know for behavioral economics and things okay. like that so it's an amazing book okay so that book again you know has this really fundamental idea about how human the human brain conditions you to thinking in a particular way mm-hmm. right you have the system one system two way of thinking like you know and again it didn't have very happy consequence okay again it's one of those books that is <laughs> i don't know why i'm drawn towards these books that give you no hope okay so this book also had this very very dry sort of a conclusion it said look no matter how much you try mm. okay this brain structure that you have you think you control it 
but you don't okay <laughs> <laughs> it leaves you hopeless yeah okay <laughs> yeah but then it's kind of it's, it's a mirror to show you that this is the reality and you this know the reality. and uh, yeah. don't fight the system uh, or yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's like uh, in a simple sense it's like just be humble dude, right. you know and i think that that book really helped me look at myself and this 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 ego that you have right and then to really question like you know who, who are you man right. who are you you might think you are this guy or right. whatever okay but sorry that's just an illusion that you have made for yourself it's not who you are okay you're yeah, different this is versions. a mental image you built around your own personality exactly. and you're trying to hold on to that right exactly and i think personally that has helped me immensely okay okay, okay. to be able to just take it a little bit lightly not to take yourself too seriously at right. all <laughs> any other books you want to i think that you know i think apart from that i would say you know anything any books related to history and stuff like that i think this book about genghis khan i forgot what the name is mm-hmm. okay uh, you know that was really fascinating i'm not very interested in reading biographies or like, like basically you know stories about people and what they did i've never found that to be inspiring in or interesting way. okay hmm. yeah because i think you know those are all like one sided views of yeah some good inter- interesting biographies that could be there. glorification of their own stories exactly and, yeah. man. <laughs> I, i think we, we as a society we keep going into this cycle right like elon musk and you have your mark zuckerbergs and you have all of these people and they're all like media concocted like you know caricatures right and they're all caricatures at the end of the day right mm-hmm. but i find the story of humans in general like in groups what mm. they are accomplishing that's a much more fascinating story that's mm. more pertinent okay mm. you know we like simple you know analogies oh this happened because alexander the great was this charming general fine you know it's <laughs> like so many other things that are you know that make him who he was right. or whatever right yeah. and i don't think you know these simplified narratives i don't find them particularly interesting yeah i, I think that there was uh, there was a great deal of damage done by our schools teaching us history because it was a narrative which was very very one sided right i think yeah uh, yeah to absolutely. a large extent maybe when you explore a completely opposite you know point of view from a different author about the same story then you you start seeing from multiple angles yeah right, yeah absolutely right, so yeah I I I do think that this you know they call this the cult of personality right and you know we were thought this 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 whole aspect of hero worship or like right, you know, right, there yeah. is this one person knight in shining armor you know <laughs> and it's it's permeates through everything with, from our politics to like you know school to education to everything right we just have this idea when we gravitate towards this very simplified narrative okay it's like give me that 140 character answer man right you know? right how right. am i successful elon musk is successful maybe i'm just going to read what he did and that's how i'm going to be successful right right it's not that simple <laughs> it is not in fact it's like the right the opposite right okay you probably should not do anything that they did you should do everything different name three people from the past or present who come to mind when you think of entrepreneurship yeah this kind of gets me back to the say i think i answered this question right so I I have uh, or oh, or so obviously <coughs> your you answer the question very differently by telling you know you don't hold to these ideas of yeah personality so I think yeah I I think it's it, it's yeah it, it's seriously I I and I and I really uh, implore 
everyone to sort of you know to sort of look at uh, how humans behave in groups versus how humans behave as individuals right would you recommend sapiens as a book or, uh, for understanding that as a evolution of human i think sapiens is a good start okay, okay. that definitely had some interesting ideas but then as you keep you know the, the interesting thing now is like when i read sapiens now i can literally really pick holes in a lot of some of those thought processes mm-hmm. okay you know recently i read a book called a dawn of everything okay by david graeber and I forgot the other guy's name again that book also has some you know things in it that you know are questionable but you know one thing that we have lost as a society is the ability to to argue from both sides mm-hmm. okay and i remember in school we used to have debate competitions right and then you're given a topic and you don't know whether you're going to argue for or against <laughs> right yeah right? yeah yeah you got to be prepared for for both both okay yeah. it's a skill that is has to be taught for everyone today it's right. the most important skill i think if 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 you can simultaneously hold two contradicting two contradictory ideas view, yeah yeah that, yeah that is a skill i i, I totally agree because because it can be the truth or the reality for each one of them absolutely right there is no 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 uh, ultimate absolutely. truth in that like what is my truth yeah. need not be your truth at all right exactly so, yeah. mm. exactly and i and i think as a society we are trying to punish that mindset right right okay? yeah we yeah. don't reward that mindset Correct. okay we think we are being flippant okay but it's not i mean there are multiple realities okay and and that's how we should look at literally every aspect of life right yeah that's that's wonderful right now we move on to the last segment because we are running short of time <laughs> uh, this is a rapid fire question round sure okay questions will be rapid answers need not be so what's something new happening in your life right now i'm brewing my own beer which is turning out to be good so <laughs> that's something new <laughs> what's the name of the brand <laughs> oh my goodness it's called kudikaran okay <laughs> could could you please <laughs> explain to our global audience <laughs> so see i i actually i shouldn't be saying that okay what i wanted to do was like you know release this unknown brand which no one has heard of okay and to be anonymous so yeah it's like if you listen to this podcast you might be able to pin it on who the person is but then that's a clue okay so that's it <laughs> in uh, which subject were you best at school and that's a hard one I think English. English, okay. If you could live anywhere in the world, uh, where would that be? Bangalore. Love it, man. I I vote for the same. <laughs> What's the first thing you notice about someone when you meet them? Um No. I've never thought of that. Their clothes. Okay, how they come how, across. Yeah. Okay. Whether they are like, you know, like uptight iron you like you know or whether they're like in shorts and like you know chilled out so so what's what's do you have a preference to i'm it? always like the chilled out the, the more okay. eccentric <laughs> you are in your dressing okay the more interesting <laughs> i feel you're going to be <laughs> okay good point any favorite shows to binge shows well not not off late man i i i have not really found anything you know that binge is worth lately yeah nothing has been binge worthy off late unfortunately <laughs> Okay. Have you ever stolen anything? Ha, uh, ideas, of course. Okay. If you had to teach one subject, what are you teaching? If I have to teach one subject, 
I would teach astrophysics, astronomy. Oh, so the dream is on, man. Okay. Absolutely. I love love teaching that. Have you ever left a one star rating on something? What did you review and why did you rate it that way? Huh. No, man. I have never left a one star rating. I feel very conscious, you know. I think it's one of the flaws I have. Any restaurant I go to or whatever, yeah, you if know, you have a bad experience, right? So, I don't You In fact, <laughs> I have this sort of evil streak. Okay, I'm like, if I'm the one who suffered this, I want others also to suffer. So maybe I'll just give a five star so somebody else can come <laughs> and just be as miserable as me. <laughs> You're really evil, man. Okay. <laughs> oh God. Do you prefer working remotely or in an office? Well, remotely has been a amazing, amazing experience. This is contrary to what everyone else says, but then I'm just loving it. So you you would like to continue? I will always continue this. What do you do to unwind after a long day of work? Listen to music, you know, watch watch something on Netflix. That's it. Very simple stuff, you know, nothing particular as such. Do you have any annual family traditions? Annual family traditions, yeah, always like vacation, you know, that is like at least two vacations a year is like mandatory. Mhm. You know, so that is there always. All right. What is something that you have done in your life that no one would expect? <laughs> I think you have a reputation for actually <laughs> doing things which people anyway don't expect but then <laughs> what what did I do that no one ever expected me to do I I was part of I was part of an exam heist okay mm. where I helped a guy you know I can't take any names or whatever but I helped this guy, you know, basically helped him write his exam okay. where I basically wrote for him, okay? Oh my. Right? But I wasn't in the exam hall to do it. Okay, this was done, you know, you know, sort of, you know, Ocean's 11, right? So think Ocean's 11 style bank heist. Wow. Where the money goes from like is stolen and then it goes in a van and stuff like that. The only difference was this was answer sheets that are going from the college but they're intercepted halfway in between <laughs> and then an answer sheet is inserted and then it goes in it was i have i you know i'm going to i'm writing a script for it okay and there's going to be a movie you know it is a, it is a fascinating film okay but yeah that's one thing i have done yeah. guys who are listening uh, if you want to hear the full story in the members only content it will be available <laughs> for the paid subscribers so so please do check out the paid membership <laughs> for behind the scenes <laughs> so all right so if you're banned from the internet for two straight months what are some things you will be doing if i'm banned from the internet for two straight months okay so i will basically i think i'll i'll write that mm. is something that i've i think i would definitely that i would definitely do mm. i'll write okay i have i have been i've paying serious you know attention to my writing of late and i think it is helping a lot that's a big change i've made recently so yeah it's so fun. you you prefer long format or short form writing long, long, long. form okay you know okay. i is i've been writing every day consistently for the last year i would say every day i write okay. at least one or two pages <laughs> whatever wow. comes to my mind and that has been a very helpful very helpful exercise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nothing in particular but i just like you know put some ideas on paper that's it that's true man So Arun this has been a blast I I really enjoyed our conversation and I I feel so unsatisfied like I feel there's so much more to talk about so <laughs> definitely we, we must do a round two there are so many interesting aspects of your life that I I really want to dive into but but this is this has been good and where can people find you like you know what are your social handles 
my my i think as of now the 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 best way to find me is twitter it's mm-hmm. a benty a b e n t y mm-hmm. so you can find me on twitter and that's kind of where i sort of spill my guts now and then <laughs> and i'm hoping to start a blog like i said i i'm i'm you know i hope to you know make it a little bit more formal but time permits i'll start doing that but i need to do it it's a, i i feel it's like one of the things i need to do this year for myself sure and uh, if uh, people need to check out your your work where can they again twitter would be the ideal, ideal place space. because okay, everything great. is there on my profile so Wonderful. you know okay. i'm not any, on any other platforms <laughs> <laughs> any parting thoughts any any final words uh, no, nothing manoj i think it's been fascinating you know to be able to just come in and have this sort of a conversation you know we keep having you know i i i don't get this sort of opportunities to come and talk about these free ranging topics and sort of go back and sort of you know think about all the things that have happened in life and i thank you for the opportunity to you know giving me this opportunity to share this this ideas awesome. and i'm surprised that you find it interesting <laughs> <laughs> you would be surprised that you know, so many of uh, my audience would find this really interesting and i'm sure this will open up a huge set of people who want to really understand what you do and the work that you are involved in i think this uh, opens up uh, a lot of avenues for aspiring artists who knows so thank so you. thank you for this and uh, with that let's conclude today's call <laughs> thank you so much manoj thank you Okay it's been a blast man thanks I hope you enjoyed the show all the key points discussed will be available in the show notes section at www.rareearth.com that is r a r e e r t h.com thank you for listening to this podcast if you really enjoyed please do give me your feedback review and rate on iTunes or any listening app of your choice do subscribe and share thank you